We would like to welcome you to Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Pastor Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, and he will be teaching through a series on Titus. We hope that you will join us as we begin Getting in the Word. Here's Pastor Stuart. I want you to consider for a moment that you received a direct instruction from Almighty God to proclaim a message of destruction to a people who was promised blessing by God. The same God that promised these people prosperity, protection, and provision, He now has called you to be the one to go and to deliver the message by which He instructs you to call judgment on the people. Could you imagine? Could you imagine the hate that this would incur on your life the, the, the mocking, the reprieve that, that, that you would efface if, if, if God were to call you to do such a thing. Well, I'm here to tell you, Jeremiah is that man. Jeremiah was a man for which God talked to verbally and called him to proclaim a message of wrath to the people of Israel, his own chosen people. And so let's just go ahead and set the stage this morning. If God is willing to not relent against His own chosen people, who do we think we are as a nation? God is not happy. As a matter of fact, God is angry. And He gives us some great hope in this passage. But there is great warning as well. There are really four things I want you to gather from the text today. Number one is that God is a God who speaks verbally. Secondly, God is a God who speaks visually. And thirdly, God is a God who speaks sovereignly. And fourthly, God is a God who speaks aggressively. So let us read the Word of God together. Let us turn to Jeremiah chapter 18. Uh, I'm going to be reading 1 to 12. I've got my new LSB, the Legacy Standard Bible. For those that have been following, I pre-ordered it. It is a translation that has been put out that improved the NASB, and that was done through the seminary and university of the Master Seminary, and it is a great translation But nevertheless, let us read together. The word which came to Jeremiah from Yahweh saying, Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I will make you hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he was making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was ruined in the hand of the potter. And so he turned around and made it into another vessel according to what was right in the eyes of the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord 
Yahweh came to me saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does? Declares Yahweh. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. One moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to tear down, to make it perish. But if that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I have planned to do against it. Or at another moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to build up or to plant it. But if it does evil in my sight by not listening to my voice, then I will relent concerning the good which I promise to do good to it. So then, speak to the men of Judah against the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Yahweh, Behold, I am forming calamity against you and devising a plan against you. Oh, turn back each of you from his evil ways and do good in your ways and your deeds. But they will say, It's hopeless. For we are going to follow our own plans. And each of us will act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. I want us to first look at verses 1 and 2 and observe that God speaks verbally. The word which came to Jeremiah from Yahweh saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house. God has always, throughout history, spoken to His people. In the very beginning, in Genesis 1, 1, He says, and things happen. Let there be light, and there was light. In Genesis Chapter 2, verse 16, God speaks to Abraham. I mean, Adam. And what does he say? From this tree you may freely eat, but from those, or from all of these trees you may freely eat, but from this tree, in the day you eat, you will surely die. God spoke. He gave instruction. He gave warning. And then as we come to Moses, man chosen of God to deliver the people of Israel, and he meets him in Genesis chapter 3 and 4, and God speaks to him in the burning bush. Moses, Moses! And he responds. And then we come to Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 is the transition of leadership, God speaks to Joshua, the son of Nun. And then as we come to 1 Kings, you have Elijah, chapter 19, verse 9. As he is running, he is afraid, and he is in the cave. And God says, what are you doing here? 
What I'm trying to present to you is that from the Old Testament to the New Testament, God has always spoken to His people. And I want you to know that He has spoken to you today through His living Word. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, because I think it's very important for us to understand that God still speaks. Maybe I can find it. There we go. God, having spoken long ago to the fathers and the prophets and in many portions and in many ways, but these last days He's spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He has made the world. Listen, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired, it says in 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God. God breathed, literally God spoke into existence. God is still speaking today. In the Old Testament, He spoke through the prophets. Today He speaks to us through His living and active Word. And we also see that in 2 Peter chapter 1 where it says He has given us everything pertaining to life and to godliness through His Word. God still speaks. And God is still speaking today through Jeremiah chapter 18 to our lives. And we would do wise to hear, but not only hear, obey. And that's what Jeremiah does. He hears. Listen, God speaks to Jeremiah a lot. I mean, just go look at the heading of every chapter. The word of the Lord. Thus says Yahweh. Over and over and over. Throughout all of the book of Jeremiah. I tried to figure out how many times did God speak to Jeremiah, but I just didn't have time to come up with it. It was a lot. God speaks. Can I ask you a question? Are you in the word of God? Because if God speaks today through His living and active Word, are you in the Word of God? Because too many people want to listen to man. Too many people want the wisdom of humanity when He's given us His living and active Word. But if you're going to be honest, maybe you haven't picked it up since last Sunday. And maybe you ain't even got it this morning. Because the preacher ain't got slides, you're in trouble. <laughs> the reality is God speaks. And he wants us to listen. And thus, if we want to hear from God, we ought, to, we ought to pursue after His Word. Here in verse 2, it says, Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I will make you hear my words. I love that emphatic Make you hear my word. But it's under His methodology by which He will speak. Jeremiah just don't get to come up with any other way that God speaks to him. No, he says, you do what I say and I will make you hear. Then, we see in a reminder here where it says, Arise, I was reminded of Jonah chapter 1 verse 3 when he says, Arise and go to Nineveh. God spoke to Jonah as well. 
Jonah didn't want to deliver the message to the Ninevites. He wanted them to perish. He wanted the destruction to fall upon them because they were a wicked people. But Jeremiah, God calls him to arise and go. And what do we find here? That he is obedient. Do you realize Jeremiah preached for over 43 years knowing the people would never respond. Yet he had hope. Maybe. Just maybe God would relent. So he obeys. Arise and go to the potter's house. Now something's going to happen at the potter's house and we're going to find that. So I want you to first see that God speaks verbally, but next I want you to see God is a God who speaks visually. Every day we live our lives, we get to walk around, and sometimes I tell my kids, when somebody tells me a story or something happened, I say, that's a good sermon illustration right there. Right? That's a good sermon illustration. Why? Because God speaks to us visually. We, we experience real life. And here, this man, Jeremiah, this prophet of God, is now going to obey God and go down to the potter's house. And he goes down probably because location-wise, it was low land because they needed water to form the clay and to do all that they do at the potter's house. But nevertheless, he says in verse 3, I went down to the potter's house and behold, he was making something on the wheel. If you've ever run a potter's wheel, raise your hand. Yeah, it's, it's kind of fun until, until it, things start slinging mud everywhere, right? I remember in high school, in one of the classes, we had to build pottery or whatever you, coffee mugs and stuff. And we would get that big ball of clay and we'd chunk it on there and then we'd wet it down. And but Back then they had two wheels. One was on the top, one was on the bottom. And, and the potter would run that bottom wheel and turn the top with the bottom wheel. And so it was a two-wheel system. Nowadays, we just push a little pedal in the top turn. And as you begin to, to work that thing and mold that thing, and you begin to bring it up, and sometimes when you're inexperienced like me, the things just start flopping and slinging. So you got to back it off to pedal it a little bit. But here he goes down to the potter's house and behold, the text says that he was making something on the wheel. Most likely it was something made out of clay since it's the potter's house and we know that because the text tells us it was clay in his hands. But verse 4 draws this connection. But the vessel for which the potter was making the clay, the text says, was ruined. Now, you may have a translation that says marred or, or destroyed. Uh, but nevertheless, the idea is that the clay in which the potter was forming was not pliable. It was not usable. It, it was, you could say it was corrupt. And so he destroys it in his hands. And I love this. So he turned around and made it into another vessel. Listen, he's going to exegete the text. I could simply read the text and get down and we could say, Amen, Hallelujah. 
But there is some spiritual insights that I can't hide from. And that is that you and me are like this clay and that we too, like this clay, are corrupt. You say, well, I'm not a bad person. No, the Bible says we're all sinful and had fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one. As a matter of fact, no, it's destroyed. It's unusable. It's unpalatable. Unpliable, I mean. And I'm reminded of Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Flip there. Romans 5. Because this is very important. Because if we're going to see things change in our day, if we're going to see a real genuine transformation in the lives of people, we must first understand this. That there is a corruption among humanity. He says, therefore, speaking previously of everything that's been said as a result of justification by faith, just as one man, through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because what? All have sinned. We have one thing in common. Every single one of us come into this world as Psalm 51.5 says, when I was born, I was born into iniquity. Not because you necessarily did anything, but because Adam did something in the garden for which God told him not to do. And he said, in the day you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And he died just as God had promised. And we all have a problem. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. And unless that potter comes in and refashions that clay and makes us new, we are simply corrupt and unpliable. We're unusable. Nobody can even drink out of us, eat out of us. And I love the idea of a vessel because what do you do with a vessel? You put stuff in it. And when God makes us right and usable, He comes to take up residence in us because we're born again. So the potter turns around and he makes it into another vessel according to what was right in the eyes of the potter. You see, the potter gets to decide what he makes. Sometimes it's a plate. Sometimes it's a cup. Sometimes it's a bowl. Nevertheless, it's his choice. He's the designer. And the clay doesn't get to speak back to the potter going, why you make me this way? But we live in a world when everybody wants to speak back to the creator. I was born this way. Oh yeah, I know. That's your problem. The Bible says you must be Born again. Right? So the reality is, is we must be faithful in hearing what God has to say, obeying what God has to say. And here we need to understand that He speaks to us visually in the fact that we are like this 
clay in need of the potter's change. So we see that God is a God who speaks verbally. We see God is a God who speaks visually. But thirdly, I want you to see God is a God who speaks sovereignly. He says in verse 5, Then the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does? You see, God is speaking to Jeremiah through the actions of what he is seeing. And I believe God does that today through real life examples in which we go, hmm, that's a good sermon illustration. And applying it to our own lives. And here, he asks the question. And the question is a rhetorical question that points to his ability to do as he wishes. Now, I will say this. God can only do what is defined by His character. Meaning He can't deny Himself. Meaning He can't do something that is unjust because God is just. God is righteous. And God is loving. And God is compassionate. But let me remind you, God is a God of wrath. We need that reminder every now and again. We don't want just messages over and over and over on the wrath of God and the sin of man, but the reality is it's needed because we have to be reminded that we ain't in control. God is. God is. Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does? Flip over to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45. And we're going to look specifically at verse 9. Woe! That's a warning, by the way. To the one who contends with his Maker. An earthenware vessel among the vessels of the earth. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the thing you are making say, he has no hands? Woe to him who says to the father, what are you begetting? Or the woman, with what are you in labor pains? Listen, we don't have the right to speak back to the potter. He's sovereign. And if He's sovereign, that means He's in control. And if He's in control, that means He's in control of your life and your circumstances and this nation's circumstances. Oh, Israel, can I not do to you as this potter does? Don't think for a second that God can't do something here in this great America because He's sovereign. Look over at Isaiah 64, verse 8. Isaiah 64, verse 8. But now, O Yahweh, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. And all of us are the work of your hand. You know, there's great comfort, I think. In the reality that God is the potter and we are the clay because He can fashion 
us into what He sees beneficial for Him. Not about me. It's not about you. It's not about our glory. It's about the glory of God. And God has historically loved His people. So much so that even in their destruction, He gives them another avenue. We'll, we'll get in that in the closing. Now flip over to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, verse 20. Here we're dealing in chapter 9 about God's chosen people Israel. There's a lot of talk today that these are not God's chosen people. Well, the Bible tells us otherwise. They are the chosen people of God, and God has a great plan for His people. And so here He uses the example of Pharaoh... In the fact in verse 17 that he raised him up for the very purpose of showing him his wrath and showing the power of Almighty God among the people. Why? Not because he just chose him to destroy him. No, he used him because he had rejected God. And when God, you have to understand, knows all things, he knows the past, the present, and the future then the reality is God can do what He wants because it's His prerogative and He knows the things that you and I don't know. And so He says here in verse 19, will you say to me then, why does He still find fault? If He has no control and God is sovereign, then how can He find fault? For He who resists His will. Verse 20, on the contrary, who are you? Oh man, who answers back to God? Will the thing molded say to the molder, Why did you make me like this? Or does, the, or does not the potter have the authority? God is supreme. God is transcendent, yet He is involved in our lives. He is, he is sovereignly in control. And He has authority over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use. It's His choice. He chooses to do how He and act how He wants to act. As long as it doesn't negate His character. Flip back to Jeremiah. He says, Can I, O house of Israel, can I not deal with you as this potter does? And then when we come here to Romans, you don't have to flip there, I'll flip there. 11.33 He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became His counselor? Or who has first given Him that what might be repaid to Him? From for Him and through Him 
and to Him are all things. To Him be all glory and honor forever. Amen. Listen, the reality is, is God is sovereign. And so He continues with this rhetorical question, and then He makes two comparisons of what He can do. And really, this is far beyond anything else we have in the Scriptures because He opens up the door to any situation that He is able within His sovereign will to make the change. Now, I'm not going to say God changes His mind because God is unchanging. But the circumstances can certainly change. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. God is speaking in sovereignty here. He says in verse 7, At one moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom. He doesn't specify what kingdom, what nation, and thus we can apply it to our own lives and and fulfill in the gaps, can God not do what He wants to America? I might speak concerning a nation, concerning a kingdom, to uproot it, to tear it down, or to make it perish. Did He not give America what America has? And does He not have the right to destroy America? You see, as long as we don't think God is able, oh, He's going to show up and show us what's right. But when we understand who He is and His ability and His capability, then we'll fall on our knees and turn back to God. Because until we do, we are on the precipice of an opportunity for God to do this very thing in this great America. At one moment I might speak. The kingdom's uproot, tearing it down, or to make it perish. But, here's the promise. But if that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I have planned to do against it. Church, it starts right here. We can't expect a bunch of people who don't know Jesus Christ to repent. Our call is not to fix the problem. As much as I want the problem fixed and you want the problem fixed and we do everything we can, we must never forget who's in control. And He gives us the solution and the solution is to fix 2021. To repent of our sin. To ask God to forgive us as a nation. And the only people who will do that are His children. So what's your task? Gospel ministry. Go preach Jesus Christ. Because He is the one who creates in you a clean heart. He is the one who gives you the desires and myself the desire and the church desire to do what is right in the eyes of God. To be righteous as He has called us to be righteous. 
If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent. That is a promise. Now, you don't have to be a Christian to not want to be destroyed. I mean, have you read, Jeremiah, what happened to these people? The the utter blood and the separation and the starvation of their children. He says, you would become like Topath. You know what they did in Topath? They sacrificed children to the altar of Baal. And he destroyed them utterly till they no longer even existed. They became the valley of death. There is so much hideous sin in this nation. And I'm here to tell you, if we're not careful, it'll creep right into the church. So forgive me if I stand up against error. If I don't want to partner with everybody. Because we don't want to become corrupt. Because the promise is not good if we do. And I'm here to tell you the church in many ways has become corrupt. And if we are going to see a nation turn to God, it will begin with the household of God. And it will begin with you as an individual. Revival starts within one soul who turns to Christ. Who sparks a fire of revival and repentance. And we must come before God and ask Him by His grace and by His mercy to have His way in our lives that we might be saved. So if that nation turns, I will relent. I was reminded of Manasseh. You say, who's Manasseh? Well, I thought you'd never ask. Turn over to 2 Kings. 2 Kings, and we're going to look at chapter 21. Second Kings, chapter 21, verse 11. Starting in verse 10, they... Well, let, let me go back to the beginning, because it's important to understand who Manasseh was and what Manasseh did and what God told Manasseh was going to happen. Because when you, when you see it with your own eyes, you're like, this dude is in trouble. Because I personally believe we are in trouble as a nation, as a people, as a church. Because sin has been elevated. It's no longer hidden. It's proclaimed and celebrated. Manasseh was 12, verse uh, verse 1. Years old when he became king and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hesabal. And he did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh according to the abominations of the nations whom Yahweh disposed before the sons of Israel. Indeed, he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. And he erected altars of Baal and Beal and Asherim. 
as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. And worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. This is this new age junk in our day. Praying to false gods. Occultists. Vibrations and numbers and all of those things that distract you from what is truth. He even made his son pass through the fire. What happened? He sacrificed his own son on the altar. He practiced soothing sayings and interpreted interpreted ohms and dealt with mediums and spirit. Does that sound like our day? Then he put graven images of Asherim, which he had made in the house. Think about this. He made them and placed them in the house which Yahweh had said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen from all the tribes.
Well, thank you for listening to our program today. We pray that you were blessed and trust that you will join us again. If you do not have a church home, Pastor Stuart Guthrie would like to personally invite you to join in person at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, or you can visit them on their website at familybiblefellowship.org. May God bless you this week as you walk with Him.